Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Over the last few weeks, um, we've been talking about prayer. How many of you are praying more? Amen? That was kind of confident. <laughs> like I said, how many of you are praying more? Can you do something for me tonight? Why don't we just scoot a little bit closer? I, I like that idea, okay? So if you're, like, if you're, like, from, like, Sharon back, like, come this way a little bit, okay? So, so scoot up, scoot up, scoot up. I'll give you a second to do that. My wife, yes, scoot up, my wife. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. We're all family, amen? Yeah, why don't you welcome somebody next to you as you... As you find a seat just a little bit closer and just say, God bless you. Bless God for you. There you go. Now I can see the white of your eyes. Now you will all be held accountable to the word of God. I'm just kidding. You've been praying more, yes? yes. Who's been praying more? I pray that your, your prayer life is turning into, in, into a relationship with Jesus every single day. Amen. I pray that our prayer life isn't just an action that's like something that we do, you know, kind of spontaneously. It's not something that we just do out of, you know, discipline, but it's something that is actually connecting you to God. Amen? Because our, our place of prayer is a place of intimacy with God. It is a place where you are able to, to get close to the Lord, to, to hear him. Prayer it gives us the closeness and the ability to be close to the heart of God. And how many of you know that when you're close to the heart of God, you know what God wants for your life? Amen. It's a pretty simple concept. However, we sometimes get wrapped up in prayer in, in this uh, as a foreign concept in the sense that we are so mindful about the present needs that we might have that our needs become greater than the need meter. Amen? That is, we get so wrapped up in the present needs that we have and the situations that we face, and I get it, we all face situations. Amen? We all have things that we are going through that, that of course, the Lord has given us access that we can pray about. But the true you know, pre- precedence of prayer, the, the true meaning behind prayer is to commune with God. It's to speak to God and have God speak to us. Amen? It's a place where we are to engage with the Lord. And in that place of prayer, there's an exchange of power. Amen? In that place of prayer, there's an exchange of the nature of God. In that place of prayer, the Lord does so many things in our lives. He begins to transform us within, amen? And so when you come out of that prayer closet, uh, I've seen it shown this way. There's a picture that shows like a a little kitten, right? Like how many of you know what a little kitten is? A little, I I don't really like cats, I'm allergic, but you know, we'll use a cat anyways. So you, you, you go into the prayer closet like a little kitten, dainty and tiny and fuzzy, you know, that little kittens are and they're just harmless. But then it shows it like when you come out of the prayer closet, you look like a lion, That something transfers in the spirit that when you go to your prayer closet, and the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 6, and it says that you pray to your Father who is unseen, that he will reward those who earnestly seek him. And the reward of Jesus is Jesus. Amen. Amen. I said the reward of Jesus is not things, it's not possessions, it's not, you know, more money in your bank account, though that's nice. It's not, you know, more, you know, just, you know, blessings for you to to, to hold and to hoard in your life, but it's actually him giving of himself to us. How many of you know that we need him? Amen. And so it's the perfect place to have an exchange with God. It's the perfect place to come before the throne room of God and actually go face to face with God himself. And in that face to face exchange, in that face to face encounter, we are transformed into the likeness and into the presence and into the glory of God. And so who remembers, I've been teaching an acronym so prayer, you know, it's six, six different letters, right? P-R-A-Y-E-R. Who remembers what the P stands for in prayer that, that I've been teaching on? Who remembers? Any note takers? Personal time with God. Exactly. P is your personal time with God. 
We need to set aside personal time with the Lord. How often? Every day. Multiple times a day. Amen? Multiple times a day. Not, not just for a moment, not just for our food. Amen? How many of you prayed for your food today? All right. Some of you. Some of you didn't. I hope you don't get sick. No, I'm just kidding. But pray for your food. But make prayer more than just a prayer for our food. Make it a prayer for the bread of heaven. Amen? Jesus said on the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, he talked about that being a, a place where we had asked the Lord. We would ask of him to give us this day our daily bread. Why is that important? Because he goes on to say in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, before that he said that man should not live on what? Bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so what is he saying? He's saying, ask the Lord for himself. Ask him for a daily bread. Ask him for a, a, a living word that he would speak of and breathe upon your life for the day. How many of you know that we need the Lord every day? Amen. We need the Lord, you know, to go to Walmart. Amen. We, we need the Lord to go to school. We need the Lord to, to do everything in our life. And so we must ask of him. The second thing, who remembers what R in the word prayer stood for? Reverence. Amen. It is reverence. How many of you know what reverence is? Reverence is a healthy fear of the Lord. A healthy fear of God. That is a, a respect and a fear of the Lord in such a way that the, it's not being afraid of God in that sense. But a reverence is, is actually a submission and a trust in him. Amen? It's a submission and trust in him. And we learned in that message a few things. We learned that fervent prayer will save your life. I'll, I'll, I'll read you this verse real quick in Hebrews 5. And I have to move quickly. But in Hebrews 5 or 7, it said, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of what? His reverent submission. And it goes on to say, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So we learn three major things in that passage of Scripture. Fervent prayer will save your life. I'll say it again. Fervent prayer will save your life. I told the church when I preached that message that any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. If you are not willing to go to the throne room of God and ask of God and petition God, then guess what? Don't let it burden your life. If you're unwilling to go to the king of kings, the one who is the eternal source of salvation, to the one who is the eternal source of hope and strength for your life, then guess what? Don't even worry about it. But if you go to him, if you go to him confidently, if you pray and you ask of the Lord, you say, Lord, I have this petition, I have this need, then trust God that he will meet the need for your life. Amen? The second thing that we learned is that reverent submission leads to answered prayer. The scripture laid it out plain for us, right? Reverent submission leads to answered prayer. It's so important, church, that every single day we are living in submission to God. What does submission to God look like? It's like this, in the simplest way I could put it. Not my will, but your will be done. Amen? That's what reverent submission looks like. It's not my will, God. I'm not waking up, God, to say, Lord, I'm going to do this today with my life. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. It says, no, Lord, it's not my will, but your will be done. Father, if you allow me to go to this place, then let, this, let, let that experience, that moment, that encounter be a blessing. Father, if you lead me to this place, Lord, let me be a blessing to somebody's life. It's not what I want, Lord, but it's what you want. The third thing that we learn is that prayer leads us to the one who can save us. Amen? So when you step into that prayer room, into that prayer closet, you're ultimately before the one who is the savior of your soul. Amen? You're ultimately before the one who is, is able to save you. And it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter if it's, it's the simplest thing or if it's the most dire need. He cares about them all. Did you know that? 
I said, did you know that he cares about the simplest thing in your life? He cares about the, the hairs on your head or those that are falling out. <laughs> he cares about the needs and the, and the present, you know, health of your life. He cares about the things that, that you care about. He actually is in tune with the things that your heart is desiring of. Amen. The third thing that we learned was this, and, and I'll ask the question again. Who remembers what the A in prayer stood for? A is for asking. Matthew 7 and 7. What does it say? Ask, and it will be what? Given to you. Seek, and you will, somebody say it, find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I had made a, a specific point about that verse, and that was this, was that this verse is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. Because people automatically assume that we can ask God for whatever we want. And while technically you could maybe do that, it doesn't mean it's going to be given to you. Amen? You can't ask God to bless something that goes against his will. Amen. There's a saying that says, if you want to make God laugh, show him your plans. <laughs> if you want to make God just chuckle and laugh, show him your plans. Show him the very things that you said, oh, this is what I'm going to do today, Jesus. This is what I've got in store for my life. And so the truth is, is that if you're asking for a thing that is possessions or money or power, this is a misuse of prayer. This is a misuse of prayer because the asking is actually directly related to us asking him for him. And so, like I said in the beginning, the primary reward of asking in prayer is being given the Holy Spirit. That is the primary reward because guess what? Jesus contains all things. Amen? There's nothing, there's nothing greater than Jesus. It's not Jesus and, amen. I said it's not Jesus and, it's not Jesus and then if I had that. If you have Jesus, you have access to everything, amen. I said if you have Jesus, you have access to everything that you could ever desire in your life. And I use that verse, Psalms 37 and 4, it says this, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you have desires in your life? But notice, what it, it, notice the progression. It says, take delight first in the Lord. Take delight in him. That is, be satisfied and content with who he is alone. Amen. Be satisfied in the season that you're in, even though you might have a need. Even though you might desire something, be content where you are and take your delight in him. Take your delight in that place and then... He will give you the desires of your heart. Then there are things that the Lord will actually bestow upon your life because he is a God of favor. He's a God of compassion. He loves us and he loves to see his children happy. Did you know that? He loves, the, he, he loves for you to be happy. But first and foremost, he wants you to draw your joy from him, not from things. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Lord will not release something that he knows could potentially destroy your life. Some of you are asking God, you're saying, Lord, I need this in my life. God, I need, I need a relationship. I need a spouse, God. I need a new job. I need this. And, and all this while, God's saying, you know what? I would love to give you that. But you're not ready for that. You're not ready to steward that kind of blessing. You're not ready to steward that kind of, you know, uh, possession in your life. You need to first be content with me. When we are content with the Lord, church, everything else doesn't have a grip on our life because we're already satisfied with God. There's a, a famous preacher, and I believe it's Chuck Swindoll, but he said this. He said, it's not wrong to have possessions, but it is wrong when possessions have us. Wow. It's not wrong to, to own things. How many of you, you know, have a car, amen? You know, hopefully you didn't get here on a, you know, bicycle or a kayak or something, you know. Uh, you might have had a hard time getting here. I showed my wife a picture today. It was so awesome. I was on Facebook Marketplace. Anybody ever get on there? There's, like, all kinds of, like, deals sometimes and scammers, so be careful. But I was on Facebook Marketplace, and there was this, like, it looks like a, I don't even know how to describe it. It looked like a, uh, 
I don't know, like, you know, the guys that like have like, like a hot dog cart, you know, kind of set up. But it was this bike, and it had like this little canopy on top, and it had two seats. And in the front, it had two more seats. And it said that it was a bike that was for two adults and for three kids for $1,000. I was like, dude, I'm going to sell my truck. I'm like, man, that, like, that sounds like a good deal. You know, and she's like, whatever. She goes, well, get to church and smelly and all stinky and stuff. And I was like, but that's a good deal. I'm a, I'm a guy for a deal, you know. Like, and, 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 it, and it was so funny because I saw it. I said, man, that, that's an awesome thing. Here's the deal. I'm crazy enough to do something like that. Now I wouldn't because my wife and my children need a nice, reliable vehicle. But I would be crazy enough to do that because guess what? Possessions don't have me possessed. They're not something that controls my heart and my life. I've had things, and I'm grateful to God for that. Amen? I'm grateful to God for, you know, a good running vehicle and nice clothes and a house and things like that. Those are all blessings from God. But ultimately, those things come and go. Amen? The Bible says that those are the things that will rust and they'll fade and they'll, and they'll deteriorate in this world. But Jesus never fades. Amen? He'll never deteriorate. He's always worthy to be trusted in. But we learn that we must ask, church, with right motives. Our asking of him must be done with a right motive, with a pure heart. James 4 and 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive that you might spend what you get on your pleasures. That's on our own desire. We've heard that saying a lot, and, and it's true, but you are blessed to be a blessing. Say it again, that we're blessed to be a blessing to somebody. The moment that you, you said yes to Jesus and you received him in your heart, you automatically became a carrier of the gospel. You became a person now that is, that is positioned and is readied in their heart to be able to share their testimony and the good news of Jesus with somebody else that needs to hear that. That's why we're blessed. The moment that I gave my heart to Jesus at the ripe age of 15 years old, when I gave my heart to Jesus, like, nobody could shut me up. I guess they still can't. <laughs> like, uh, you know, look what I do for, for, for a living. But nobody could stop me. I got in trouble for preaching in class. I got a girl saved in chemistry one time. I, I was, you know, the kid that started a Bible study during lunchtime that grew to like over 30 students, you know, and people were skipping lunch break because they wanted to come and hear the word of God. When I learned about Jesus, I did not want to shut my mouth about him. I didn't want to do that because my greatest desire and my greatest hope had already been found. I had nothing else to talk about. I pray that your relationship with the Lord through prayer is growing you and developing you into that person where Jesus is the center of everything that you do. He is the topic of your conversation. He is the longing of your heart. Which leads me to the fourth thing that we learned. Who remembers what the why in prayer stood for? Yearning for the Lord. What is yearning for the Lord? What is that? It's a deep hunger from our soul that can only be supplied to us by God. He is who your soul ultimately hungers for. If you feel like parched in your spirit, if you ever feel, you know, weary in your spirit, it's because your spirit is yearning for God. There's not things that could fill that void in your life. There's not enough, you know, uh, answered prayers and, and, and blessings that you could attain in your life that would ever fill that void. The yearning and the deep yearning of our soul is always for God. And we learn that David, King David, he was, you know, in that period of time where he was reigning over Israel and he was the king over Israel. And the Bible says that, that there arose a man by the name of Absalom. And Absalom kind of had, you know, this, 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 this thing in his life where he was, you know, contending with David for the throne. And there was this competition that kind of began to, to stir up and to happen. And so the Bible says that David withdrew to a cave. And he withdraws himself to a cave. He goes away and he, he just wants to get before God. David wasn't about to, like, you know, fight for the throne. He wasn't about to, you know, you know go into an arm wrestling match with this guy. He was like, you know what, I'm just going to withdraw, and I'm going to go to my God, the one who called me and the one who anointed me. 
And in Psalm 63, we find this verse. David prays this in verse 1. He says, you, God, are my God. He says, and earnestly I seek you. He said, I thirst for you. He said, my whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I have beheld your power in your glory. Wow. Many people in a, in, a, in a season of being actually in a desert of their life, they often look for their refreshing in their own resources. They often try to find their refreshing in their own resources, in their own possession, in the very things that they can control, their own supply, their own desires, instead of trusting the one who said in Psalms 23 that the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. David is in a cave, literally almost being booted out of his palace and his kingdom. He is in a cave and he is crying out to God. He goes on to say, in a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and I beheld your power and your glory. From a desert, David is not crying out for actual water. David is not crying out for a well. David is crying out for God. David is crying out to the very one and the only one who can satisfy his thirst. If God leads you into a desert church, God will become your drink. If God leads you into that place where you are far and you've got to go out to a place, you've got to be secluded. Guess what? He himself is all you need. Amen. He himself will become all that you need. It's not like, oh God, I'm going to come all the way out here and I'm going to be all abandoned and I'm going to be alone with you, God, so that you can give me something that you aren't yourself. He's everything that we need. Amen? He is everything that we need. If God leads you into a desert, he does not expect you to dig your own well. But the Bible says that he is the wellspring of life. He is the very one that our soul needs to tap into every single day. In Isaiah 58, it says, The Lord will guide you always, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. How many of you know the Lord that way in prayer? Amen? Amen. Let's continue tonight. Number five. Are you ready? Everybody say, I'm ready. Anybody know what E stands for? Expectancy. I think I heard it, right? Or somebody said something like that. Extravagant or I don't know, whatever. God is extravagant and he is to be expected. Let's, let's quickly get into this word. Expectancy, that Hebrew word of expectancy in the scripture means hope. It actually it has, a, it has a, a connection more directly to the word of hope. And in the Old Testament, the word expectation means that which is expected. So how many of you expected to encounter God when you showed up here tonight? Amen. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask this side. How many of you expect to encounter God when you show up to church? You should. Amen. You should, because it's the, from the place of expectation that is actually partnering with faith. If we have no expectation that God is going to do something, God cannot do something. There actually has to be a motive in our heart that we believe in the one who said he is able to fulfill that which we are asking for. There is a belief first and foremost that is, it's almost as if we are possessing the very thing that we are asking for in prayer before we have it. Isn't that what faith looks like? It is literally believing that the impossible looks logical. It's like, man, I don't know how I would be able to walk on water for you, God, but all of a sudden I believe that you are the one who could sustain me upon the water, Lord. So therefore, I'm going to walk. That's exactly what happened with Peter when he listened to the voice of Jesus and Jesus said, come. He said, Lord, if it's you, tell me what to do. He said, come. And Peter's like, okay. Peter didn't think twice. He knew the voice that had called upon him. He knew the very one who had spoken to him. And so therefore, Peter responded. When the Lord says come, when the Lord says go, when the Lord says share, when the Lord says give, do we do it? 
We have to think about this tonight. We have to understand, church, because if we don't do it, then how can we expect that when we go to him in prayer and we don't believe that God's going to do something for us? Amen. How many of you expect Jesus to return? Let me hear a shout. How many of you expect Jesus to return? How many of you expect that one day you will inherit heaven? Let me hear you shout. How many of you expect to have answered prayer? Ah, that one was weaker. I heard it. I heard some people like, ah. A.W. Tozer said this, to pray without expectation is to misunderstand the whole concept of prayer and our relationship with God. To pray without expectation is to misunderstand the whole concept of prayer and our relationship with God. That is, if God is able to uh, save our souls, that is, if he is able to make an eternal transfer through the resurrection of our souls to one day inherit to heaven, to one day inherit the most divine dwelling place of God, then why do we so often struggle to somehow believe that God hears our prayers? We're quick to believe that, oh man, God's going to resurrect me to heaven. We're quick to believe that, oh man, God is going to, you know, come back and he's going to return for his church. But when I say, do you have an expectancy that when you pray, God will answer and you go, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Why do we often find ourselves doubting that God can answer our prayer, but somehow believe that when we breathe our last breath, that God is going to resurrect us into glory? Hmm. I want you to believe what you are asking God for. Because it's not, you're not asking me. You're not asking pastor. You're not asking a mere mortal man. You're asking the creator of the heavens and the earth. Amen. Know who you are asking of. Know the one that you are asking from. Know that one that you have called upon. You want to know where confident expectation comes from. Do you want to know where that is birthed from? Confident expectation from God, it's birthed in the secret place of daily conversing with him. It's daily speaking to the Lord every single day. It's not some like, you know, secret recipe. It's not something that's, that's truly difficult, you know, to, to, to discover. We don't need some kind of divine revelation for this. Confident expectation from God is birthed from in the secret place in a daily relationship with him. The Bible says in John chapter 10, Jesus is, is speaking and he, he refers in, in, to himself as the shepherd, as the good shepherd. And he says, my sheep know my voice. Amen. How do the sheep know the shepherd's voice? They speak to him every day. The sheep are with him every day. They're being led by him every day. When the shepherd says, go this way, the sheep follow, right? When the shepherd says, stop, the sheep stop. When the shepherd, you know, goes out there to protect them from something that's, that's evil or dangerous, then they know exactly what to do. And they know the voice in the, in, in, in the one that they're listening to. And a lot of times we don't have any kind of confident expectation because when we go to pray, we only go to pray when we need something. We only enter into that place of prayer when it's like, oh, man, God, by the way, you haven't seen me in like five years. But guess what, God? I have this tremendous need, God, and I really need you. But there's zero confidence in your life when you go to him in prayer because guess what? You haven't conversed with him. And because you haven't conversed with him, all of a sudden you're thinking like, um, you kind of go bashful, right? How many of you like a person that only calls you when they need something? Nah, I know you don't. The phone goes, and you go, oh, man. probably want money again. You're like, oh, man, they probably need something. And you're reluctant to answer. You know that God's not like that? Hmm. He's not like that. He's not reluctant to answer. He wants to answer. But the difference is, is that you and I, are reluctant to go to him because sometimes in our relationship with God or maybe lack thereof, we haven't spoken to him in a while. And so it creates this shame and this condemnation where we say, you know what, I don't know if I can approach him about this. 
God's not going to be too happy with me because the last time I came to him, I got what I wanted and then I never talked to him again. I got what I needed from God and, 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 and therefore I just kind of bailed on God and now all of a sudden I'm over here doing my own thing. I remember there was a family in our church years and years and years ago. And they had a young man and he was in high school, I think he was like 17 or 18 years old. Stage four cancer. On his deathbed. I mean, this dude was, had days to live. And by a divine, powerful intervention of God, the Lord healed him. Saved him. And I'm talking like it set the church into revival and just craziness because people were so in awe of the power of God. I could tell you that that family probably never came to church more than a month after that. Prior, they were there for months, faithful, begging God, asking of God, pleading God, Lord, save our son, save our brother, save this young man. God, we need you so much. Oh, we're dancing, God. Oh, we're praying. We're shouting, God. We're doing everything that we know to do so that heaven could open over his life. And when the miracle came, they left. They were just like those ten lepers when the Bible says that Jesus touched them all. And they all went off, excited, they're cleansed, they have no more leprosy in their life, they're happy and rejoicing, but only one came back to thank him. Only one came back to the one who set him free. I want you to get everything that you want God to bless your life with so much, but never at the cost of you abandoning your relationship with him. Never at the cost of it causing you to say, thank you, God, I'm good. You know what? I'm just going to move on and just be on my own. Mm. Better move on. Psalms chapter 5. Open your Bibles quickly. Psalm 5 and verse 1 says, listen to my words, Lord, and consider my lament. He says, hear my cry for help, my king and my God, for to you I pray. He says, in the morning, Lord, he says, you hear my voice. And in the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. Jesus, we thank you for the word. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just speak, speak, speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. From the scripture, we learn that David was faithful in his fellowship with God. He was faithful in his relationship and in his prayer time with God. In fact, he began every single day in prayer. This wasn't something that David, you know, just did like, you know, flippantly. This was something that David had really embedded in his life. He opened every day with prayer. And so unlike many people, he didn't speak with the Lord only when he was in, in distress or desperately needing something. But David was a daily visitor to the throne of grace. Did you know, church, that people that rarely speak with God should rarely expect from God? If you rarely speak to God, then you should rarely expect from God. But when there is a daily visitation from your life to pray to the Lord, there is built a quiet confidence in that place in the nature of God to fulfill, to answer, to empower, and to sustain. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4 says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. It says he wakens me morning by morning and he wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed do you know church that we have no excuse everybody say no excuse we have no excuse not to engage with the lord on a daily basis we have no excuse for he has put it into our being he has actually wired us to depend on him. That is, he has given us a well-instructed tongue. That is, to know the word that sustains the weary. That we would turn to him, that we would depend on him, that our life source would be him, so that by the very spoken word, as children of the living God, we could stand on the promises of God. We could daily meditate over his faithfulness and his power and his goodness and his hope. And the scripture literally says, he awakens us morning by morning. Did the Lord wake you today? 
Amen. He awakens this morning by morning. He awakens our ear to listen like one who is ready to receive instruction. That's how he woke you up today. But what did you listen to? What did you listen to? What did you incline your ear to? What was the first thing that your heart was inclined to do when you woke up today? Think about that just for a second. Evaluate your life just for a moment. Was the first thing you did, you know, was get up and, you know, brush your teeth and, you know, go to the, take a shower or something? Or was the first thing that, you know, you, 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 your eyes awoke and you said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you, Lord, that I'm, I'm here another day, God, to submit my life to you, to be used by you, Jesus, to just, you know, have your presence and your power over my life. I can honestly tell you, church, that most often my hearing of the Lord's voice happens early in the morning. That's just me. It doesn't mean that you can't hear God at night. Amen? Because I believe that you're hearing the Holy Spirit right now. It doesn't mean that you can't hear God in the middle of the day or at midnight hour. But it simply means that our hearing is best inclined to hear from him early in the morning. Morning prayer is significant, and that's why it's mentioned twice in this verse. I'll read Psalm 5, 5 and 3 again. He says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. Did God hear your voice this morning? He says, in the morning, Lord, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectant, expectantly. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that prayer is to happen in the morning? I believe it's this, because prayer in the morning... Prayer as the first thing that you do recognizes God as the greatest priority of your life. It's putting God in his rightful supreme place in your life every single day. Psalms 88 and verse 13 says, but I cry to you for help, Lord. He says, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. In the morning time, we make that our time to pray to the Lord. You know, church, that every, every day has a sunrise and a sunset. Amen? Uh, I, I joke with, uh, I'm not even going to mention their name, but I joke with a particular, you know, family member of mine. And, and sometimes I, 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 I say, I'm like, you know, like you never even see the sunrise because, you know, some people, you know, wake up at like 11, you know, or 12. And, you know, I'm thinking like, man, the day's already over by then. Like, that's how I feel. Anybody else feel the same way? Uh, anybody an early riser like me? Who wakes up early? Raise your hand. You guys are anointed by God. The rest of you, we're going to work on getting you up a little bit earlier. I'm just kidding. We're, we're all blessed by God. I feel like if, if I'm awake after like 6.30, it's like, man, could have done so many things. I could have spent time in prayer. I could have I read, I don't know how many chapters by now. Like, I just feel that way. I'm like a 5 o'clock guy most of the time. You know, 4.30, 3.30 sometimes. Woo, get up at 3.30. Nobody's awake at 3.30 except for God. You know, so it's like get up at 3.30 and make that your time of prayer. But every day has a sunrise, amen, and it has a sunset. And I believe that when we start our day in prayer, this is our sunrise. Prayer opens the door for Isaiah 60 to happen in your life. What does Isaiah 60 say? Arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. When you wake up and you pray and you call upon the Lord, the glory of God rises upon your life. It's like, I'm ready for the day now because the glory of God is all over my life. He says, see, the darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. And it says, and nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 4 says, his splendor is like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Man, I want to speak to the one whose splendor is like the sunrise. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I want to talk to him. I want to speak to the one who has rays of glory beaming from his hands where the power of God comes from. That's the one that you get to engage with. Amen. That's the one that we get to engage with. But before David met with anybody else, church, he met with the Lord. David was a king. I could imagine the king had, uh, had an agenda. Amen? 
I don't know if David did like a State of the Union address like that thing that happened yesterday, but, you know, I'm sure he had to do something like that at some point. He had to address the people, right? He had business that he had to take care of. He had, you know, to tell the army where to go, and he had, you know, certain things in his agenda every single day. But the Bible says that David met with the Lord. Before his affairs, before his business, he sought the Lord in prayer. Secondly, morning prayer is important because it recognizes God as the greatest power in your life. How many of you believe that the Lord is the greatest power in your life? Amen. His first activity was to direct his voice to the Lord in prayer. Now that word direct is, is a word that means, uh, it's, it's, it's also uh, called a rock. That means to set in order. To set in order, that is to arrange or to place in a row. And so that word in, in, in the book of Leviticus, it's used several times in Leviticus chapter 1 and Leviticus chapter 24. But it's actually talking about the arrangement of the wood for a sacrifice upon the altar. When he prayed, it was as if he was arranging his heart like the wood that was about to be burned upon the altar of God. It set everything in motion from that point on for the day. So prayer is important. Amen? How many of you hear somebody say that, you know, uh, what is it? A breakfast is like the most important meal of the day. I don't know who made that up, but I, coffee is the most important meal of my day. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> you want to take me out to breakfast? Buy me a cup of coffee, and, and that's, that's usually how it works for me. But prayer is the most important engagement that you will have in your day. And it needs to be church. In the same way David laid out his prayer, he laid out his requests, his commitments to the Lord every day. He petitioned the Lord for his needs and he looked up to the Lord to supply those needs. And he waited in expectation for God to answer and bestow upon his life everything that he needed for the day. How many of you need wisdom every day? Amen. David asked for it. How many of you need strength every day? Amen. We need the protection of God. We need provision. We need patience. Amen. Raise your hand if you need patience. Lord, give him patience. Lord, we're going to be here another hour. Give him patience. (laughs) Everybody's like, wait, whoa, 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 wait. How many of you need courage? Ask him for it every day. How many of you need forgiveness? Amen. Grace. Yeah. Mercy. Every day. Ask him for it. Ask him for it. Ask him for it. How many of you need victory every day? Amen. We need guidance. Philippians chapter 4. We've heard this many times, but let's read it. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Everybody say every. How much is every? (laughs) All of it. Every situation, not some situations, not most situations, every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And what does it go on to say? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We need the peace of the Lord every day. Because when you wake up, there's things that the enemy has, has prepared to attack your life with. And if you haven't first gone to the Lord in prayer, if you are not first covered in the peace of God, if your mind is not covered in the peace of God, all of a sudden when that, when that attack comes, it makes your heart anxious. It makes your heart weary. It makes all of a sudden you get fearful and you get worried and, and, and you, know, you kind of lose your footing in God. But listen, when you come to him in prayer, when the first order of business for your day is to pray and it is to ask of God, then we position ourselves to receive the peace of God over our life. And this is so important because when we don't pray, our flesh is inclined to worry. When you don't pray about things, your flesh is automatically inclined to worry, to overthink and to become anxious. How many of you are overthinkers? Raise your hand. Like, dude, I'm like the biggest overthinker. Anybody give me a multiple choice test and I can make every answer possible. I am that much of an overthinker. Every answer, I'm like, yeah, I, I can see how this could, you know, be that, you know, like, that's my, that's my reasoning. 
You know, it's like it could be super plain and simple, but I can overthink so much. You know, I was told one time that I could drown in a glass of water. <laughs> Think about it, right? Like picture me like drowning in a glass of water. Like I don't even know how that works. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> drowning in a glass of water. But, but like think about it. What does overthinking do? It causes your mind to go places that, that, that the peace of God is not even existed in. All of a sudden, it's taking you out from a place where you're out of under the protection and the shadow of God and out of the belief of, of who God is in your life. And, and you're in a place where you're going like, how did I end up here? I'm all worried about this and I'm all, you know, freaking out. And, and you can't see the light of God because the enemy has attacked you in a certain way. But in the place of prayer, we come face to face with the one who offers perfect peace. He is the prince of peace. Amen. And guess what? He has not run out. David knew that every morning he would rise to speak with the Lord. And so sometimes, church, we tend to do, you know, what we think works, and that is this. A lot of times we'll put on our favorite worship song. How many of you love worship songs? Amen? Put on your favorite worship song or hoping somehow that the presence of God will embrace you. And we listen to a message online from a favorite preacher of ours to offer some kind of hope to our hearts when we're going through a circumstance. But listen, the Lord didn't establish these things to sustain your life like prayer will. A lot of times we think, oh, if I just listen to my favorite worship song because one time it really touched you and it ministered to you. Then all of a sudden, when you're going through that, you know, crisis or that tragedy, you put that song on and it's going to just bring healing and God's presence is going to flow, then you're, you're mistaken. It doesn't work that way. Prayer is the vehicle and the mode for that to happen. Prayer is the very instance and the very ordained divine purpose and plan of God to allow these things to happen in your life. I ask you this question tonight. Did you lay your request before God today? And if you did, are you waiting expectantly? Are you waiting expectantly? Are you desiring and believing? Psalms 130 and verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. He says, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. He said, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. And notice he says it twice. He says it again. More than watchmen wait for the morning. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. And he himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. See, this is the prayer of somebody who's confident that God will fulfill everything that he has promised. When you say, I put my full being in God. I put everything that I am in God. When you're saying, I'm putting all of myself into the Lord. That is, I have no other plan. I have nothing else but you, God. I have no other plan. I have no other resource. I have no other thing that I'm going to put my hope in today. But I put myself fully in you. That is believing that God could provide everything that you have asked him for. The psalmist believed God's promises so firmly that he was convinced that the Lord was worthy of trust. How many of you believe that the Lord is trustworthy? He's trustworthy. That is, you've seen him come through in your life time and time again. Did you know, church, that by putting all your faith and trust in Jesus, he will never put you to shame? Anybody ever seen those trust fall videos? <laughs> and, and instead of falling back, they fall forward. <laughs> oh, man. I would go to, on to say that even if you trusted Jesus to catch you and he told you to fall back, but instead you fell forward, he would still catch you. He won't let you fall. I find so much hope in that. I find so much hope in the fact that he won't let me fall. That when I pray, when I engage with the person of the Holy Spirit, when I ask the Lord, Say, Lord, I am in need. I'm in need of you. I'm in need of a touch of heaven. God, I'm in need of restoration in my life, Lord. I'm in need of protection, Lord, that I can trust, Lord, fully in who you are. Fully, God, that you would sustain me in every season, that you would provide for me in every way imaginable. 
And God, I have no plan B. I have no backup plan. You're everything. And you're all that I need. That kind of place of trust should lead us to that moment where we recognize him fully as Lord. It's the revelation of knowing him that he is all in all, as the scripture says. Fully knowing him and knowing that there's no other person in this life that could sustain you. No other work or or thing in this world that could provide for your life. There's not a circumstance, a situation, or an issue, or a person who needs salvation that we cannot trust God for. We can trust him for all of it. Amen? And so in every day and in every way, God is trustworthy. I love that scripture that says that he who began a good work in us will be what? Faithful to complete it. Amen? He will be faithful to complete the work in your family. He'll be faithful to complete the work in you. He'll be faithful to complete the work of God in your ministry. And he can be trusted always to complete the work. Because through the sinless and perfect life that Jesus lived, and through the sacrifice and the punishment that he bore in his body for our sins, so that the very thing that held us in in, in a great chasm between us and God might be broken down and separate. And the Bible says that as his body was given as 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 a sin offering for all of mankind, in that moment when Jesus gave up his last breath, he said these words, he said, it is finished. It is finished. That means that the work that Jesus did upon the cross was more than enough for today. The work that Jesus did in your life, the work that Jesus did on the cross more than 2,000 years ago, is still more than enough for today, church. And no matter what present need you have, no matter what circumstance you go through, no matter who you are praying for to receive Jesus, he is still more than enough. Can somebody say amen tonight? He is still more and more and more than enough. And we need to have that kind of confidence when we approach the throne of grace. We need to have that kind of confidence when we come to him and we ask of him and we say, Lord, if you would just save my family member, God. If you would just save my brother, Lord. If you would save my sister. If you would save my son, my daughter, Lord. My parents, God. I would have the confidence, Lord, that I could come to you and pray and say, God, save their souls. That's expectation. That's being confident in the work that Jesus has completed in your life. How many of you believe in Jesus? Then reveal it by your prayer life. It's easy to say we believe and it's more challenging to do. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I believe. I believe that that could be just lip service. Oh, I believe, God, that's easy for me to say. Do it. If he is the most meaningful one to you, then every single day you shouldn't be able to live a moment without him. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.